The reading this morning is taken from the book of Psalms, starting to read at chapter 1. It can be found on page 543 of the Pew Bibles. So that's page 543, (coughs) Psalm 1, starting at verse 1. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, or stand in the way of sinners, or sit in the seat of mockers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yield its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever he does, prospers. Not so the wicked. They are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore, the judgment will not stand. Sorry, therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, everyone. Turn my microphone on, which I think I've forgotten to do. It's on. Great. Well, um, what we're going to do is I'm just going to spend a few minutes now just talking a bit about direction and uh, what this year might hold. Then uh, we'll get a bit of a break and uh, we'll do some other things. And then just for a very short time, I'll talk about figures and finance. All right. But why don't we just uh, close our eyes as we uh, pray together. Father, we do indeed want to take the words of that song and pray them for ourselves. That you might fan into flame a passion for your name in this church and across this village and this town. That is, Father, that's the overriding vision that we have, we always have. That we might be passionate people sharing the most wonderful news in the world and seeing people coming and tasting and see that the Lord is indeed good. Father, what does that look like for us over this coming year? Well, Father, please help us to see that more clearly today, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. I want to begin by just uh, turning this on and then saying thank you. I want to say thank you uh, for the privilege that you gave me of being able to go away for three months and do just stuff I love to do. That's an enormous privilege. Not many get it. And I want to say thank you. And I don't take it for granted. I want to say thank you to everybody for literally stepping up. And I'm not going to point to any one single person because I know a whole church really stepped up. And I want to say thank you for allowing me to do that. I had the most amazing time. I got to meet some funny people. It's at the top of the Empire State Building. And I got to go in the BBC newsroom and sit in as the six o'clock news was broadcast and sit in the director's box as he was barking orders at uh, George Alagaya, who was trying to read the news. So uh, that was fun. I got to go to some places that I've never been before, and some of those you may see. Just to say that on Tuesday, I'm not going to talk about the whole sabbatical. We're going to focus on one bit, which is the time in Israel and the conference that I was part of uh, about uh, peace and reconciliation. So I'm going to focus mainly on that. I can tell you other things I did, but I will bore you silly if I go on and on. But... Thank you, Fran. Don't laugh. (laughs) Um, As well as lots of seeing and experiencing, I did do some reading as well. And uh, one of the things I thought most about 
It's what I'd kind of planned before I went was to think about what is it, where are we culturally now in the Western world and in the UK where we are? Where are we culturally? And what does it therefore mean to be church? What does it mean to speak about the gospel in the culture where we are right now? Because that culture has changed enormously even in the last 20 years. The way people think, the way we think has changed and many of us are not even aware of the way we've changed. And what is the norm now was not the norm even 20, 30 years ago. And it changes the way we have to think about how we are as church and how we communicate the good news of Jesus. That's just some of the things I read. But many of you will be asking, so what have you come back with, Adrian? What are all the great pearls of wisdom you've got to share with us? Well, I have to tell you that I felt by the end of it, God speaking to me very strongly indeed. It's not often I can say that. I'm not one of those people that often can say, I really feel God spoke to me in a very strong way. But I felt it very strongly indeed, particularly in that last two weeks as uh, God prepared me to come back. And are you waiting for this? It's not rocket science, guys. This is what I came back with. Keep calm. Focus on the basics. Now, I felt a really strong, there's a phrase that came to me, which is this. Go back and do the basics, but do them even better. Go back and do the basics, but do them even better. Which was quite a relief for me. I'll tell you why, because this is a bit of an insight into me, which you kind of know, is I'm by nature a warrior. I struggle with anxiety a lot, and I worry about this church most of the time. Lots of people tell me things are really good. Well, I am a glass half empty kind of person, so I'm constantly worrying. And I think a lot of it is all to do with me, because I spend my life thinking, well, we, you know, we've got to be a growing church, we've got to be this, and, and I want to, what's the thing that's going to unlock all the things that happen in this church? And the danger is you start to chase after things they are going to, you know, if I run this or if I do that, then suddenly things will all take off. Especially at the moment, because church growth is kind of on the agenda in the diocese. And actually, it's hard. You know, year by year, we kind of go along. We're not in major decline. We're not in massive growth. We're kind of healthily moving along, I guess. And actually, as I read more and more about where we are culturally, what all the books I was reading was, actually, as a church, we need to go back to the basics of what we're about and do them better and actually not lose confidence in the basics of what we're about. Don't go chasing after a fad, because somehow that'll unlock something new. Actually, the gospel and all that goes with it, in many ways are unchanging. We've got to find new ways to, to, to live it, maybe, and to speak about it in a different context, but be confident in the gospel and in the basic things you've always believed are the key to growing healthy churches. I felt that as a real release coming back. I hope that doesn't sound boring to you, but actually it gave me a real release. And uh, the verse uh, or the passage that I kept going back to in that last uh, week was Psalm 1. Psalm I know really, really well, taken it for granted for many years, but particularly that, that uh, section I pulled out there from verses 1 to 3 of Psalm 1. Blessed is the one whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water 
which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither, whatever they do prospers. It's an amazing psalm, isn't it? Because it has there uh, that imagery of this tree, which I just is a beautiful image. I get to look out the back of my garden to the big wild oak that gives Wild Oak Lane its name. This extraordinary big tree that stands there and has stood there for, I don't know how long it's stood there for, a lot longer than I've been alive, I should think. And it's a beautiful picture of what God is longing to grow. He longs to grow Christians and he longs to grow churches that are like that oak tree, that are firm, strong, healthy. Uh, one of the phrases that particularly hit me and which when I shared this with the PCC was that, and it's a tree which yields its fruit when? In season. And I realised that I'm impatient. And the reason why I offer I get very anxious is because I don't always see results. What are results when it comes to a church? It's hard to know, isn't it? But it's very easy to start to think, what is going to give me instant results? The thing you can point to go, oh yes, everything's going well. But I kind of felt God say through that, hang on, fruit comes when it's the right time. It's not there all the time. Sometimes you have to be very, very patient. The key is not about you going and trying to make fruit happen. The key is you've got to make sure the tree is healthy. Healthy trees in time will produce fruit. So you get on with the business of creating the healthy tree. Make sure the tree is as healthy as possible. And then don't worry about the fruit. I'll send that along when it's the right time for the fruit to come. And therefore this is a picture of really a healthy, growing prospering church. When it says prosper, I don't think it means we're all suddenly well off. I think that word prosperity is about a tree that is, that is being all that it should be. It is healthy and it is functioning as it should be. And what is the key to it? The key to it is a people who delight in the word of God, the law of the Lord, and who meditate on his law day and night. It doesn't get more basic than that, does it? What is the key to a healthy church? It is people who delight in God's word, his written word and his living word, the Lord Jesus Christ, and who meditate on the written word and on the Lord Jesus day in, day out, allowing him to shape the way they think, the way they breathe, the way they are with each other, with the world around them. It is not rocket science. But I suddenly felt God say, it isn't rocket science. But are you doing that? And are you doing that as well as you possibly can in your particular context? And I thought to myself, well, in many ways, we have we've got it right. We've got, I think, therefore, our kind of mission statement. Sorry, that's a slightly, I've changed the mission statement slightly there, just because it makes a bit more emphasis, of becoming mature disciples, making mature disciples of Jesus in Tron and beyond. That's been our mission statement for a while now. The key to it is is that uh, we want to be coming mature in my mind, it's not old Christians, it is healthy, functioning, fruitful, blooming Christians. And that is our longing to see others become that as well, isn't it? In troll and beyond troll. So I felt God say, that's right, absolutely. Don't go around changing your mission statement. You know, have six PCC meetings to come up with another flashy thing. You've got it right. But also I think this is what really my sabbatical, I think I learned more than anything was, that 
The key is that it's not just about growing a tree, it's growing a tree in the context it finds itself. And actually, it is pretty stormy out there to be a Christian today, I think. In some parts of the world, it is so stormy that it will cost you your life. And I was there listening to people working in places like Iraq. I was there, uh, I met a Syrian Orthodox Archbishop. And uh, you'll see if you come on Tuesday, the Syrian Orthodox Archbishops wear black, but they have red underneath. The reason is that uh, they understand that when it comes to uh, persecution, uh, they understand that they will be the first to be killed for their faith. They wear red underneath to say, uh, we will be the first to be martyred amongst our people. And uh, interesting, the first Christian to be martyred in Syria was a bishop, who was the first person to be killed out of the Christian church. And, uh, you know, that's the context. Now, we don't get that over here, do we? But what is it that's going to enable a Christian church in the Middle East to stand firm? What is this going to enable us to stand firm? And, you know, I saw some things while I was away that really shocked me, and actually it wasn't the suffering that I saw. It wasn't actually the war that I saw going on and some of the terrible things I'll explain to you. What scared me most was Christians. What scared me most was Christians. As I listened to some, uh, do you know, for my time in, in, uh, in Israel, I almost thought I'd come from a different faith from many of those who were on the conference with me. Because I thought... I, didn't, I couldn't recognise the Bible they were using. Okay, it was the same Bible as mine, but the, the way they read it and interpreted it, it was, it was bizarre. And it led to some extraordinary things. And, and I think in other times I saw Christian leaders across this world, some of the things I read, people who have enormous influence, saying things from the Bible that I just could not believe. And the impact of the things they were saying had enormous sort of uh, uh, ramifications politically and in other ways. And I felt God say, that is the world in which you need to make sure you're back to basics. Getting people grounded in the scriptures. If it's the scriptures and it's Jesus that we find in the scriptures who's the key to health, then it's all going to go wrong if you move away from that. Just think of Heidi and Bosco saying that out there in Uganda where they've been working, what is the biggest threat out there? It is the prosperity gospel. And that's meant to be the church. And that's the biggest threat. That's what uh, puts the rest of the church in biggest danger. And so it's easy, isn't it, to kind of think, well, we're okay here in Little Old Troll, but we're not. And actually, even within the church, and certainly within the Church of England, there's the, uh, the problem we have about how we deal with our culture. A culture which is less and less happy with what we stand for as Christians, what do you do? The danger is you compromise. We try and fit in. We try and sound more reasonable to the world around us. And that's going on enormously in the church across the land today. So what would it mean for us to stand firm on the biblical gospel, to stand firm on the biblical Jesus and the things he calls us to you see, this thing of becoming healthy, mature, fruitful trees actually is not hard. It's, it's done in the context of being battered. But what will enable us to stand firm? Time and again, you read the New Testament, the Bible uses that phrase, rooted and strengthened. 
in Christ. And it's often in the context of false teaching. Do you know, I, there are times I've read those New Testament letters and thought, I can't really see where the false teaching Paul talks about goes on here. And yet I saw it face to face with some of the people I spent my time with. I saw the things Paul was speaking against right before my very eyes. And some of those in very big, influential worldwide churches. So, I've given you a little sheet. It's a sheet of the PCC. Have you got it? It's got a tree on it. You see the tree is our... You all need to go for a walk in the meadow outside in Wild Oak Lane to have a look at the oak tree, because that's the picture that's in my mind as we embark on this year. Have you all got that? Because that's for you to take away, and I'm not going to spend too much time doing the detail, because rather than give you everything now, I'm going to show you what we're going to be unpacking as the year goes on. Does that make sense? So rather, because I'll bore you silly if I go on about it now. But just work from the bottom up. So I think what that means for us is we've got to make sure we are still deeply rooted, deeply rooted in God's word, deeply rooted in the living word, Jesus Christ. Now, of course, that's through Sunday teaching and, uh, our, but it, and our growth groups and other ways, through that great head-term discipleship. Sam did another great course on, um, on doctrine, didn't she? Which I know loads of people have really found helpful. But I wonder if the key is that second thing I've put there, the... It says here, develop personal spiritual disciplines. That seems a bit dry, I think, when you hear that, isn't it? But I suppose what I'm getting at is, how can we encourage one another to be doing that delighting in the law of the Lord and that meditating day and night? That day by day, delighting and meditating on God's words together and on our own. How can that become foundational to the life of us as individuals and the life of our church. So we're going to take that on and have a look at that in this summer term together. So that's the roots. The second bit is the core, which I kind of, as it were, the trunk, the importance of having a strong core to our church. And uh, here are four key areas, which I think and we've thought we need to really focus on to get better at. One is our growth groups. I think our growth groups have kind of disappeared a little bit from view. They're going on, but only they've got the front place. To, me, to my mind, they're pretty much the most important thing, other than, of course, the prayer meetings, that goes on in the life of our church. And we struggled at times to find groups of people to join. And, and therefore, what I've done, I've asked Mark Close, because uh, Mark is free to leave us from the summer, so he's potentially got six months with us. Well, as his last hurrah, I've given him a six-month project, to, uh, to look at our small groups, our growth groups, and really uh, go at them. What's going well? What's not so good? How can we continue to develop? Are there things we could do that we haven't been thinking of? Ways of reshaping things. So he's going to do that. Secondly, just our Sunday services. We've gone through a lot of change over the last year or so. And it's important that we consolidate and make sure that what we've got is really working. I, there is still some teething problems. I would say, around our services, particularly around the morning services. And uh, particularly, we've also got to make sure that whatever decisions we make are not just to make us feel more comfortable in the pattern we've got, but actually, have we got the right setup in order to enable those who are not yet here to be here? Because there's no point having a pattern of services, which actually no one else is ever going to come to in a million years, will come because... Well, we're kind of committed to Christ, so we'll do what's needed to get there. But for those who are not yet, 
And I think there are just questions we still need to unpack together. So we're going to take some time over the next few months talking to all our congregations, finding out what's the best way for us to move forward from here. It's not a disaster, but it's maybe not everywhere that we'd like to have been when we set out on this program. Then the other two things there, a commitment to prayer. It's not about trying to make people feel guilty, but it is that realisation that unless we're praying, actually nothing's going to happen. Do you know what the most frightening thing I found about sabbatical? It was terrifying. When I took myself out of a church where I'm meeting Sunday by Sunday, meeting every week, praying with people, I realised what my prayer life was really like. And it was a scary discovery. Actually, you know, uh, that realisation how important prayer is and how actually the prayer we do together is key. Suddenly I didn't have it. <laughs> I realised so much of what went on here I relied on personally as well as, gosh, the church relies on that. If you take prayer away, you feel very vulnerable. Everything feels rather more empty than it did before. And therefore we need to attend to it, not take it for granted. And then the last thing there was body ministry. What do I mean by that? I think just that question of, does everyone in this place feel valued and feel they have a part to play? I don't mean everyone's got a job with a job title. I think that's too much of a, it's a bit of a crass way of looking at what Paul was saying when he described the church as a body. But in that beautiful image, he talks about a church so committed to one another that everyone knew they needed each other. And when one cried, the others cried. When one laughed, the other laughed. That's kind of my summary of what he was saying. So interconnected are we? So reliant are we upon one another? And have we really got that? Well, how might we begin to kind of tease that out? Those to me seem core to our life together as a church. Yeah? I'm looking for some nods or some very... If you really don't agree with me, I need that as well. As a church... Key to obviously is our reaching out, and that's why the branches become this beautiful image really of reaching out. Reaching out to through our mission partners is key. And I just sense that we're not as good at supporting our mission partners as we should be. The mission team are great, but as a church, how often do we really pray for our mission partners? Not very often here, do we, if we're honest in this service. I kind of feel we need to we need to get better. So we can look them in the face and say, Yeah, we're really partners. And I'm not sure we're quite there yet. The Taunton Ministries, things like Beesom and Open Door and all those things, actually, we've got good people involved, and I think we've just got to keep making them known and encouraging people to get involved if that's where God wants to use you, because there's some really exciting things going on around our town. Frontline, if you're new to us, frontline may be a phrase you haven't quite picked up yet, but uh, we've said, haven't we, that the most important thing is actually not what you do here in church, but what you are doing where you are week by week in your family, work, that context. And what can we do as a church to support and encourage you and what God is wanting to do through you there? Well, that's got to remain absolutely front and centre. But of course, the key other things we've got, we've got the community centre. Can I just say, it is, if you don't go in the community centre very often, you may miss out. I, and that's not your fault. I'm just saying, I get to see it every day. It's so exciting. To see, you know, I had one lady sat there just before Christmas and she called me and said, Adrian, this is a lifesaver for me, the hive. This is a lifesaver. 
Without this, I do not know what I'd do. She lost her husband a year or so ago. She's there at least three times a week. And uh, she said, Adrian, this is a lifesaver. That's really exciting. And there is lots of... And Jen, where's Jen? Is she still there? Jen's probably hiding. Can I just say, Jen is storming as a centre manager, because she doesn't just manage the centre. She enables the vision we had for that centre to become a reality. So can I ask you to keep saying thank you to Jen, as well as everybody else, because she's working so hard at making that happen. But the last thing, which I mentioned before Christmas, which I really think, if there's anything new for us this year, it is this. How can we be good news to our village? I'm very aware you can put on services and expect people to come. You can have the hive and the centre and expect people to come. The issue is, should we always be expecting people to come to us? What does it mean for us to go to this village? And what do we go to them with? Oh, please come to our thing. Or is there some way in which we are called to be good news to this village? What would it mean if by the end of this year, people in this village go, do you know, All Saints Church is really good news in this village? And then we'll ask why. And that's the question. I'm not sure we've got the answer. Why? What might they begin to say by the end of this year? Why was this church good news in this village? Well, I think that is the one big question we can start to unpack together. And it doesn't matter if you live in the village or not, because actually I, don't th I think the solutions are not about where you live. I think it's about what kind of church we are that actually everyone can be part of. Finally, because we can't make fruit come, but we do need to be ready to harvest fruit when it comes, which is why we're running Life Explored. So there's a Life Explored, uh, which is a new course for us, and uh, we'll be running that. I've got some people signing up already, which is great. Do sign up. The details are on that little card in your pew. And we'll be doing some other events as well as breakfast. We'll keep on doing those things. We've got some ideas maybe to do some events that link to particular issues, practically around suffering and mental health issues, actually, and how they link to faith. Things that people may be able to key into quite easily from their own experiences. So we've got some ideas that we're planning for the year. So that's kind of where we're moving. Does that sound all right? Is that something you feel you can get within, in habits? We're going to think trees all year. Is that all right? I want you to just uh, turn to your neighbour, and I know that's always horrible, but I'm going to make you do it. You've all been given one of these, and uh, as you were sort of, as I was waffling away, what one thing, it doesn't have to have struck you as a major thing, but of all the things that were mentioned there, what one thing particularly stood out for you and you thought, yeah, I, that I really see, or yeah, that's the thing I really feel quite passionate about. Is there one thing you can pick out? Just turn to your neighbour, because it's very easy to be a listener. But uh, uh, why don't you just chat, just uh, literally one minute, so uh, don't hang around. Don't unpack it. I mean, you could, of course, disagree if there's one thing on there you thought was complete rubbish. Great. Well, I hope you're going to take these conversations on. Take them to your growth groups. Take them to your uh, wherever you meet with each other. Uh, it's not meant to be a kind of static thing. It's something that should be living, and we will all be part of seeing this evolve. But for the last eight minutes of our time together, I want to just focus on money, because... All of this happening, year by year, costs us money. In one sense, you think, well, you know, why does it need to cost money to sit and read the Bible? And, but actually, keeping a show like ours on the road and keeping moving forwards 
takes a fair amount of money. And uh, many of us have been around for a while now and uh, won't be shocked by the figures, but it is quite extraordinary that we are a church that basically costs us about a quarter of a million pounds every year to keep the show on the road. Quarter of a million pounds. That's extraordinary. But there we go. That's what we're in. And what I want to say is thank you. I want to say thank you to uh, three sets of people. One is I want to say thank you to all of you. Because the extraordinary thing is that every year when I stand here, and I do it slightly quaking, some years I've had to stand and say we need to increase our giving by 50%. The first time I ever stood and did this, 13 years ago, I had to say we have to increase our giving by 30%, uh, by 50%. The next year, by 25 or 30%. That takes a bit of faith, I can tell you. The extraordinary thing is, every year, whatever I've stood up and have asked has always come about. And I am aware that that is because you take seriously this church, its mission and vision. And that is not something I ever take for granted. So I want to say thank you. Secondly, I want to say thank you to David Sharp and Roger Watkins, who are the people who have to worry about this when we're not worrying about it. I think especially David, because he literally lives and breathes this all day, every day. Well, even if you're not... I see him up at his desk as I walk past, and I just think, oh, David, I'm so sorry. <laughs> but he bears burdens for us we will never know. And um, I told people at 8 o'clock to come give you a hug, David. <laughs> <laughs> I knew you wouldn't be very happy. <laughs> but if you can, just say thank you to David in an appropriate way. <laughs> but also to... Ro- <laughs> But also to Roger, because Roger handles all of the plan giving and all that goes with that, which it's, it's not so much he's paying the bills, but he's dealing with that. And, uh, and Roger and Dave, Roger's the only person who knows what we pledge, and we've kept that, so that it's absolutely anonymous and confidential. Roger is the only person in our church. I know nothing. David doesn't know. Uh, we know nothing other than... And so Roger kind of bears that <laughs> confidentiality. So can we say thank you to Roger as well? But actually, we should say thank you to God, because actually, we believe passionately, don't we, the only way this can ever happen, it was the same with the community centre, is if God moves our hearts. And actually, this is not a human endeavour. So I don't actually ever stand here as nervous as I probably would have been, because actually I know that God is good, and I've seen him be good every single year. Every year I've been here. He's pushed me to my limit faith-wise, as he has all of us. So I think we should say thank you. This is the reality. Um, last year's income here was, well, this is the projected, I'm taking David's figures for projected income. As if we carried on giving in the way we have this year, if money goes the same, this, then this would be the income. This is, in effect, the kind of income level that we have in our church at the moment. 253,000. The way that comes out is 69, don't worry about the figures, but basically just shy of 70% of that is planned giving and another 15% is the tax-free claim. So 84, 85% of the money that comes into the church comes from us and then with a bit of top-up from the Chancellor. Okay? Other, that is because we get bits in for when we do weddings and funerals and all those kind of things. So that's other. So a very small amount comes from those, just 5%. And then the community centre generates um, 
uh, including the hive, 11% of our income. So last year that was £28,000, or is that projected for this year? About £28,000, which is extraordinary, isn't it? That is the money generated by a community centre. So that's the income. Our planned spending for next year, for this coming year, is 268000 It is an increase, and I'll explain to you where that increase is coming from. Let me just explain what that budget is made up of. And I'm not putting numbers up. I'm giving you pictures because numbers are all in the booklet that David's provided. Now, it's not often you see me dressed like that, is it? But I thought I probably ought to show that I do sometimes dress like that. The reason I put that up there is this. is because 44% of the money that we will spend this year goes on what's called parish share. That is, uh, we are not congregational. Some of you may come from churches where you give to just what goes on in your church and you appoint your own vicars that, or pastors. That doesn't happen in the Church of England. In the Church of England, everybody contributes to a central pot and then clergy and other resources are paid for out of that central pot. And the way that it's based on is the biblical understanding that you see being played out when Paul is writing to the Corinthians, where uh, better-off churches help out those who are struggling. We, by nature, are better-off. We're better-off because I think we're in about the top 10, 15 churches in terms of size in the diocese, and that's out of about 500-odd churches. So... We are better off in terms of number of people. We live in a fairly nice bit, don't we? So we tend to be better off in terms of our income and things like that. I guess what's really brought it home to me were two conversations I've had this year. One with a a, a vicar of a church where, uh, it's quite a big church, it's a growing church, it's grown enormously, but where the vicar estimates that one half of those in his main congregation are in some form of addiction. One half. Now, you know, he knows there's no way that those people are ever going to be giving at the kind of capacity that a similar-sized church somewhere else will be doing. It's just never going to happen. I think of another church which, and I, I've got to be slightly careful because um, I'm not, it is in the diocese, but I know that that church is on an estate, a deprived estate. There are only two taxpayers in the congregation, so only two people who earn enough to pay tax, and one of those is the vicar. I also know that that vicar often pays off the parish share for that church because it doesn't come from anywhere else. So he gets paid, and then with his money, he pays it back into the bit that he gets paid out of. Did you work that one out? That's why it is that we are asked by the diocese to put in more to the pot so that we might enable ministry to happen in places where otherwise it wouldn't be able to happen. So uh, we do, we pay for another person and a bit on top of getting me, okay? So that's why we put in a lot. Uh, But it's important because we share in ministry together with others. So that's 44%. Uh, 90% of our income goes to pay for our children's and families worker and our youth worker. And uh, a lot of the reason why we continue to be a church that thrives is because we invest in leadership in those areas. Some people sometimes say, oh, it's all about children and young people. It's not, because there are two members of staff here who do nothing, three members of staff who do nothing with children and young people, me, Mark, Julie, and Jen, actually. So actually, we don't, it's not true that we invest everything in there, but actually, in order to do what we do, we need to invest. 
just a small amount, only 4% of our money goes on running all the activities we do as a church. Isn't that amazing? Just 4% of our budget actually is on the activities, providing worship resources, children and youth resources, all other resources that we need to run our activities. Mostly because we have so many brilliant volunteers who give of their time and everything so we don't have to spend a lot of time because you give so much to that. Giving is more than just money that you give. It is you and your time. The community centre uh, uh, will take about 15% of our uh, income. Uh, but I think the key that I uh, want to say is this, is that the net cost of the community centre to us as a church is, for this year, would be just £11,000. That is the net cost to us. That is the difference between what we earn and what it costs. It uh, leaves us. That is extraordinary for the size of facility we have. And the things it enables us to do, for it to cost us just £11,000 a year, is extraordinary. And uh, so, um, and actually, I'm, I was just talking to Julie about the Christmas meal. The things we were able to use that for, uh, 43 people, I think, came on Christmas Day. Most of those people we never, ever seen in church who had been on their own on Christmas Day. Suddenly, we could give them a gift. Some people have said... Can we charge people? We don't want to charge people. It, it, it's hospitality. It's, we wouldn't charge... So if we invite them around to our house, we'd say, oh, and by the way, can you pay five pounds when you come around for the meal? You don't do it, do you? We want to say, come and join our family when you haven't got family to be with. So if you give someone a ticket, well, that's, that's not... They get food, but it's not hospitality, is it? And that's what we want to keep doing. That's what we want that place to be for us. Julie doesn't like having our photo taken, so this is the next best thing. This is Cooper, which is Julie's dog, <laughs> who sat on my knee while I was doing some work in the office at, at Julie's computer. So that's as near as we get, because she won't allow it. But obviously, we pay 30% uh, uh, of our costs go to admin, and that's Julie, the cost of Julie and uh, other, uh, all the admin that goes on. And then just 6% of our income, of our, sorry, our expenditure is on maintaining and repairing our buildings. We've just had what's a sort of five-yearly uh, um, uh, inspection, which gives us the work we have to do over the next five years. That's just happened, so we've got a programme of works we've got to do to stop the rain coming through and all of that kind of thing. The key areas where things have changed this year are mainly in we've got to pay more share into the diocese and more towards the upkeep of our church building. So that's the key reason for the increase. If you've done your sums... This is where we are. We're praying and needing to give for a 7% increase in income. Now, that may not mean that everyone can give 7% more. Some may not yet be given and can start to give. Some may be giving and need to pull back because things are changing this year. For others, we've never kind of made anyone do anything because we don't believe that's actually a biblical view of giving. What we believe passionately is that everything comes from God. It's his in the end. Whatever we give back, we give him back to him, was his in the first place. And therefore, we simply say as a church, that is where we are. Hopefully, we're being transparent. All the details are in a booklet that if you're on any of our lists, there'll be one with your name on. If you aren't yet on one of our lists, we apologise if you think you should be, and we'll get you on one, but there are some spares. The book, the envelope has uh, David explaining this in far better way, clearer way than I have done but also explaining how it is you can give, how you can, uh, you know, through envelopes, tax efficient, all of that kind of thing. 
What we ask people is to make a pledge. There is a little form where we ask you to pledge what you hope under God to give in the coming year. And it means that David can begin to plan. The reality is that it's always a bit higgledy-piggledy as the year goes on, but at least gives us a head start at the beginning of the year. Does that all make sense? Can I pray? And then we're going to sing our last song together. Loving Father, uh, we have tasted and we have seen so many times that you are good. And we have trusted you year after year and you have blessed us. And, and Lord, we simply pray that again. Lord, that this year you might bless the work here. Not just financially, but by your Holy Spirit. Would you fan into flame a passion for all that you've called us to be. But then, Lord, would you help us to prayerfully consider how we might give. Give ourselves, but give of our money. That this vision might become reality as this year goes on. Father, we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.